As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football writer here, hosting a basketball podcast, joined as usual by Brendan Marks, our UNC and Duke basketball writer. Brendan, it's tournament time. We, we got to the end of the regular season. Does it feel like an accomplishment? Uh, it does. And, and honestly, Andy, you need to give yourself more credit. We've been doing this for so long now. You are, you are no longer a... a a misguided football writer cast in a basketball world. You are certainly belonging, sir. Give yourself a little more credit than that. Well, I'll say this. We have met in person and we are both taller than five foot two. And therefore, in Jim Beheim's eyes, qualified to talk about college basketball. That's what we're going to do today. We have a jam-packed show. So much going on. You know, they finished the regular season. The tournament, who's going to uh, win the ACC tournament? Who's going to make the NCAA tournament today just before recorded? Thankfully, the ACC released. It's all ACC uh, teams, coach of the year, play of the year, all that stuff. We're going to talk about all that in this podcast. Let's start with something we did not talk about last week because it seems just out of the realm of possibility. The winner of the ACC is not a team we thought it would be. Uh, I thought it was such a layup for Florida State to beat Wake Forest. Who were they playing? Like? It was a uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Who they played before that it was Miami, I think. Miami and Notre Dame. All they had to do was beat those two teams. You know, cellar dwellers in the ACC uh, to win the conference title. Florida State goes out, lays an egg, 83-73 loss at Notre Dame. Opens the door for UVA uh, to come in, beat Louisville. And they win their third regular season title in four years. Uh, they kind of caught everybody by surprise. Wouldn't even talk about it last week uh, on the podcast. Uh, how surprised were you by this? I, I, pretty shocked. I mean, I think, you know, we, considering the way that Virginia's season was going, like not even just considering of late, but looking at the trajectory, you know, this was a team that had lost three straight, including N- to, to NC State at home, which is, by no means something that you would expect from a Tony Bennett coach team in late February. And so to be able to lose those three games and to still have a shot at, at winning the ACC regular season and then going out and actually doing that, um, you know, that I, I, I think in some weird ways, it just speaks more volumes about Tony Bennett. I mean, this is a guy who 
we don't give him any credit. I mean, he is a pre- he is in, he has an approach. He's firmly in Roy Williams, coach K territory in terms of the ACC hierarchy. Um, he's not going to get any coach of the year votes for the next century at this point, go <laughs> just based on the way that we treat tenured coaches. But look, I mean, this is what Virginia does. They win, they take care of their business and we can forget about them. We can trash on their tempo. We can trash on their style of play. We can say that they're falling apart and all they do is go out and win the ACC. So uh, credit to Tony Bennett. Um, I, I still don't think that Virginia is the best team in the ACC. I still think that it's Florida State. I think Florida State has a much higher upside. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to argue with the Cavaliers and, and come tournament time, come postseason time, they're as hard and out as any team in the league. This is Tony Bennett's fifth regular season ACC title. Here's the list. Dean Smith was 17. Coach K was 12. Roy Williams, 9. Frank McGuire, 6. Tony Bennett, 5. That is elite company. I mean, if you're the fifth guy in that list of names and you're still pretty young coach, you got a ways to go in your career. Uh, you're in some elite company there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, this time last week, we were talking about UVA like it was a dead team walking. They lost three straight. You're just like, okay, the, the wheels have fallen off this thing, and they turn it around. Very impressive. I mean, Louisville's no slouch to go beat that team the way they did on the road, 69-58. to 58. I mean, that's a comfortable win that they had there. Uh, what do we make of Florida State? Uh, this team just does not seem the same when it's not playing in Tallahassee. They're just they just uh, are flat or are not sharp. They don't shoot the ball well. There's something about this team when they go on the road. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because in sort of discussing that with some of my other peers who cover UNC and Duke, especially at UNC, they are telling me all about, you know, we haven't been traveling as much for games this year, but other outlets have to some extent. And uh they all said to a man that when UNC went down to Florida State this year, you could tell the difference. There was a buzz in the in the atmosphere. There was a buzz in the situation in the stadium. It, it was so it was so much more different than you would see it at that point. Any other team, any other league, any other home venue in the conference. And so, yeah, there is this huge difference, and it's been pronounced, and it's been there. And now you start to ask yourself. Okay, well, we've seen this trend. It's not a one week thing. You know, this is something that has lasted the entirety of the season. Is this something that we should look into more deeply as far as the ACC tournament is concerned? I mean, it seems like if you are playing Florida State and, you know, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later. If you're looking at the bracket and you see Florida State and you know that you're not playing them at home. All of a sudden, I think you feel a little bit better about your chances. So uh, the inability the Seminoles have to take care of business, I mean, it let's say what it is. It cost them the ACC regular season title, which was theirs for the taking. Um, now the question is, is it going to cost them more than that? The other big game for the weekend, and I say big because of the name appeal of these two, it's actually one team that's going to be in the tournament against one that is decidedly not going to be in the NCAA tournament. UNC just crushed Duke. Uh, you were there, covered it. Uh, UNC wins that game 91-73. to 73. It was never close. I never. Mean, it was a blowout from the opening tip. You're like, okay, Duke, when, when are you going to get back into this and put up a little effort? It never happened. Uh, you know, this pretty much puts the Tar Heels solidly into the NCAA tournament. They were sort of on the bubble there for a while. Some projections I've seen now have them as a 10 seed. Uh, for Duke, this essentially, they have to win five straight in Greensboro to get to the NCAA turn. Never thought we'd be saying that about a Duke team. Duke on uh, a Tuesday in Greensboro, man. <laughs> Only 2020, 2021 things. That's right. We'll, we'll <laughs> go back across the entirety of the pandemic here. That was an absolute butt kicking. Tell us about the game. 
Yeah. I, I mean, you said it, Andy. It was never close. And here's the thing. Coming into the game, Duke had everything to play for. You know, despite the fact that this is a team that was 11 and 10, you look at some of their wins of late, you look at the way they've been playing of late. This is not a team that was out of NCAA tournament contention. I mean, you beat UNC and all of a sudden you're you're right there in the bubble mix. I mean, this is a team that I think a lot of people consider to be sort of vying for one of those last four spots. And so to see Duke come out so flat with no energy, no life, no enthusiasm, no nothing. I, I haven't seen Duke look as lost as they did on Saturday all year. They have not looked that bad. Um, and frankly, you know, we, we were talking about this a little bit before we started rolling. Duke looked like a team that is tired. It looked like a team that has felt the effects of this pandemic all season and is just ready to close up shop and go home. And I, I don't begrudge any of the players. I don't begrudge the coaches for that. But that was the vibe I got. And, uh, you know, credit to UNC for sort of taking that lack of energy and, and building upon it. You know, I, I think a lot of UNC's players mentioned how the first play of the game Roy Williams always starts seniors on senior night. You've got Walker Miller in there. You know, he's a, he's a reserve. I think he's played maybe five, 10 minutes all season. He goes out first play of the game, takes a charge. And from there, that was it. That was the energy UNC needed. And Duke gave them an opening. And, and I just really, we'll look at the final score and we'll say, wow, UNC really blew Duke out. But I cannot say enough about how lackluster Duke looked. They just, look completely lost on both ends of the floor. Like they didn't know where to go. And um, UNC played well, but, but not so much so that it deserved to have a 26 to six lead 10 minutes into the game. What do we make of this UNC team? It, they're just so hard to figure out. I mean, you watch them against Syracuse. They can't hit the ocean if they fall out of a boat and then they shoot like 90% against Duke. I mean, it's, it's just night and day from, from game to game. Uh, I can't predict how this team's going to do in the postseason because I don't know which team's going to show up on a given day. Yeah, I think that's fair, Andy. Here's the thing I will say, though. I, I think UNC actually has the potential, based on the way that the, the roster is structured, to have a better postseason than regular season. And I know that might sound a little weird because, you know, you never know when Caleb Love's going to go 3 of 18 and uh, absolutely tank the Tar Heels' chances, but... At the same time, there are not a lot of teams in the country that have this four-man front court that UNC has. There are not a lot of teams that can boast that that level of size, that level of experience, that level of, you know, basically UNC is doing hockey lines in the front court. They put two in, they bring another two out. Um, so I think that as you get into the ACC tournament, but especially the NCAA tournament, if you're a team that hasn't seen size like that already this season – then yeah, it's it's really difficult to game plan for that effectively just in two games. You know, UNC has a lot of um, set easy plays that are engineered to get those bigs going. And if you don't have more than a day or two to scout that team in full, it's hard to pick up on some of those nuances. And so I, I think, yeah, just the way this roster is built, again, I, I think that saying it's balanced is not the case whatsoever. Um, more so the way that these bigs are playing now and the way that Roy Williams seems to be getting guys to buy into feeding the post, um, that's really hard for opposing teams who, who don't have a lot of familiarity with North Carolina. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Well, we'll get to the tournament in a second. Before we talk about that, I do want to talk about the news today. The All-ACC ballot came out, or the All-ACC results came out, uh, thankfully, before we recorded this podcast. Thank you, ACC, for the timing on that. Uh, Here they are. First team, Moses Wright of Georgia Tech, Justin Champagny, Pitt, Carlique Jones, Louisville, Matthew Hurt of Duke, and Sam Hauser of UVA. Second team, Keve Aluma, Virginia Tech, Jose Alvarado, Georgia Tech, Jay Huff of UVA, MJ Walker of Florida State, and Amir Sims of Clemson. Uh, Mike Young's the coach of the year, Moses Wright player of the year, Jose Alvarado defensive player of the year, and Scotty Barnes was the rookie of the year and the sixth man. Take aim at the all-ACC votes. Where did the voters, you included, get it wrong? So for the spa- you know, the sake of transparency, let's just go out there and, you know, I'll own up. I did not have Sam Hauser on my first team. And, you know, I think that when you look at the votes and how close it was between him and Kevin Aluma, Virginia Tech, some of the other guys on the list, I don't feel bad about that. Um, maybe maybe I'm just talking myself into it. But <laughs> if you'd like to put your email at the end of this commentary so the UVA fans can send you hate mail, they've already they've already found it. They've already figured it out. Um, but no, you know, I think by and large, this was the conversation we've been having for weeks. Right, Andy? We didn't know out of this pool of nine or ten ish guys who was sort of going to rise to the top of the the pack. And I I do think that the voters by and large got this right. You go through and you look Moses, Wright, What he has done lately for Georgia tech. And and I had him as a first team guy. I had him as the ACC player of the year. It's impossible to ignore his play. These last six or so games, all of which were wins, all of which Georgia tech needed to get into the tournament. And now the yellow jackets seem poised to do that for the first time in a number of seasons. I, I don't think that you can discount that. The biggest issue with the voting this year was how do you square the balance of great players on bad teams versus not as dominant players on great teams? Um, so, you know, you look at a guy like Justin Champagny, who I think weeks ago we all would have assumed was the front runner to win player of the year. It's really hard to stomach voting for a guy on a team that's sub 500, even knowing everything else that was going on in Pitt and the fact that he's basically the last guy left standing. So I I think that you see some hesitation there. And then at the same time, the flip, you know, a guy like Hauser or or Jay Huff or even MJ Walker at Florida State, these are the best teams in the league. But the numbers statistically that these guys have are not as comparable to some of the gaudy statistics, the raw numbers that a guy like Carly Jones or Matthew Hurt is able to put up. So for me, the intersection of best player on the best team, um, that's how I sort of arrive at the situation with uh, picking Moses Wright as player of the year. But but certainly you could have made the argument for any number of guys as the voting clearly showed that people did. Yeah, there was no uh, real obvious choice. It feels like uh, you go back that 2012-13 season when Eric Green, Virginia Tech, was a co-player of the year on the last place team. And you go... Well, I don't know if I could do that. And there was a lot of debate about whether that was true. I think was, what was so interesting is I look at the final votes on this and Moses Wright with 33 and Carly Jones next with 13. Uh, we talk about how tough it was, but it seemed like Moses Wright did really pull away with this thing. These are his point totals in the six game winning streak that Georgia Tech's had here. 24, 14, 26, 31, 29 and 17. Yes, I think it matters very much down the stretch uh, how you play. You're making that last uh, impact on voters, and they see it, and and they vote you in there. I'll ask you this question, and this probably would not apply to most seasons. If the first team All-ACC played the second team All-ACC, who would win? Ooh. Normally, the first team wins it in a runaway because you've got all the stars there. But this is right. a, a balanced first and second team that, I mean, if you flip those, 
I don't know how many arguments you have about who's on what team. I actually really think that'd be a great game, Andy. I mean, this is this is genius stuff. This is genius stuff. <laughs> let's cancel the ACC tournament and let's do this instead. I mean, that's that's a really good question because uh, you know. So for me, the guy who I did not have, I had Sam Hauser. Uh, not on. My, I actually didn't have Hauser on my first or second team. I had him as a Hater. third team guy. I, yeah. Well, you know, and I say that, and I got a lot of crap for putting Isaiah Wong at Miami on the second team over him. And go look at Isaiah Wong's numbers, and go look at the state of that Miami team. And without him. You know, I, I'm not sure that Jim Laranega even decides to finish coaching out the rest of the season. I mean, Miami got so, so devastated by injuries and the like. Um, but no, you know, you, you talk about the difference between the two teams and there really isn't a tremendous one. Um, and also just the makeup of the teams, you know, you go through, you look right. He's a big. Matthew Hurt, he's a big. Hauser, he's a big. Champagny plays like a big. The only guard on that first team is Carly Jones. So uh, it, it is fascinating just how many guys there were. I think that you realistically could have taken any of the guys from the second team. And if you put them in the first team, uh, people would have made an argument for them. Um, some of these some, some of these other awards were a little bit easier to predict, but certainly there were just so many good, good, not great players in the ACC this year. And, uh, you know, I think that sort of played itself out in the team standings as well. What do we think of Mike Young winning coach of the year? I, I don't think anybody has a problem with it because earlier in the year, it was kind of obviously trending in that direction. It's always in that award. We always give it to the guy who overachieves the most. Virginia Tech was picked 11th. They finished third in the ACC. I was actually surprised that it was as close as it was. Uh, Mike Young was first with 26, Leonard Hamilton second with 24. I have to think Leonard Hamilton in Florida State losing that Notre Dame game cost him the award. Uh, but then you look at Mike Young's case and it's such a weird season with Virginia Tech. They did not play seven of the scheduled games that they had missed a lot, like just by pure chance, missed a lot of the top teams in the ACC. So you, you know, you look at his, his uh, resume and you go, well, they didn't play UVA and Florida State twice and UNC. I mean, it's that adds up over time. Uh, Passner third with 16 votes. I thought he might have gotten a little bit more love with the, the surgeons, the resurgence they had at the end of the year. Uh, are you good with that vote? Yeah, I'm good with that vote. I, ha I had Mike Young as well. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned by chance Virginia Tech missed all of those games. I've seen a number of ACC conspiracy theorists who uh, like to point that it, it, it is such a coincidence that all of the best teams in the league, Virginia Tech got to, you know, just skip them sort of. And um, well, one was UVA canceling on them, I believe. One was UNC canceling on them. One was Louisville canceling. So you could take half of the cancellations that Virginia Tech had, and it was the other team that had the issue. So right, right. And uh, it, it, this latest one, I think, I think people can look at it and go, "Oh, they're just trying to secure the double buy." But then my thought is, to what end? Like, right. oh, they've played two games the last 34 days. You think they want to go into the ACC tournament? Like, it doesn't matter where where you start in the tournament. If you have, you could start in the final. If you haven't played in like a month, your team's not going to be sharp. And if, you've looked exactly. at, if you looked at Virginia Tech's history uh, this season, they've lost every time they've come off a break like this. So uh, these people, they're like, oh, they just want to secure the double bye. It's like, I, I wouldn't want to be in Virginia Tech's shoes right now because I don't think they're going to be very sharp in that first right. game they play. No, there's certainly not. But like, you know, to go back to the voting, I, I think obviously we are not any different from any other voting league in that when we are picking these awards, we're picking people who surpass expectations to some extent. You know, there's a reason that Tony Bennett did Tony Bennett get a single vote, maybe a couple, a handful. Um, 
you know, Tony Bennett just won the regular season for the fifth time. And you already mentioned it earlier on the show, Andy, how many elite coaches he's now in the company of. So uh, Mike Young, I think, gets the nomination here just for the at least for me. I can speak to my own personal voting methodology. He gets my vote because you look at where Virginia Tech was projected and you look at where Virginia Tech was coming off of last season. This was a Virginia Tech team that was really gritty at the start of the year sort of fell apart over the second half of last season. Landers Nolly, their best player, transfers away. And you're sort of looking at this cupboard and going, you know, who who is it? Where is it? You know, where is the production going to come from? So to have a team that, you know, we, we talk about some of the cancellations of the ACC, this is still a team that beat Villanova. This is still a full-strength Villanova team. This is still a team that took care of the business that they needed to in league play. And again, for I, I think Virginia Tech was picked 11th to start the season, if I recall correctly. I go back and I'm looking at my preseason ballot right now, Andy, and looking at my projected order of finish. I had Virginia Tech in 12th place. So, yeah, certainly I'm going to give a lot more credit to Mike Young for being able to sort of rally things together. I think the way that he has turned Virginia Tech into a contender so quick, we've talked about it before this year, but um, it's awesome to see Virginia Tech back relevant in the league. And certainly the style that they play is is one of the more enjoyable. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I would not want to be in the Hokies shoes right now having such a long pause going into the ACC tournament. One thing I'd add quickly to that, I don't think Landers Nolly was their best player last year. He was their biggest name, but I think Tyrese Radford was their best player, and I think most Virginia Tech fans would agree with that. Yeah, I, I think with Coach of the Year voting, I've been doing it now where I like to vote for the guy that wins the conference. Uh, you know, you get to football and everybody... How like, sensible of you. <laughs> everybody finds a reason not to vote for Dabo Swinney. It's like, oh, he's got the most talent. It's like, well, he, he recruited all that talent. In this case, in this year, in this ACC, where there is no perfect team, like I, I would have voted Tony Bennett in the past when they've run the table and just smoked through everybody. This year, I, I didn't feel like there was a team like that. And that's when I kind of go towards who overachieved the most. Um, so th- I probably would have gone with Mike Young. I did not vote. I don't vote in the, the basketball player of the year stuff, but uh, I probably would have gone Mike Young this year uh, just because the way that UVA, I don't want to say backed into the title, but it wasn't like a, a great UVA team like we've seen in the past where they are just rolling with stuff. I want to move to the bracket real quick before we hit the ACC tournament. Uh, it looks like the ACC is going to get seven teams in this NCAA tournament. Florida State, UVA, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Louisville, UNC, and Georgia Tech uh, looks like it's safely in here with six straight wins. Um uh, did Georgia Tech surprise you at all with how they closed this down the stretch? And uh, they were just a really tough out. And they, they played some good teams and they beat them. I mean, they beat uh, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, and Duke in succession uh, before closing out with the Wake Forest win. And, uh, you know, here they are probably in the tournament. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, you know, we, we've already, you know, sort of alluded to it earlier, but Moses Wright just went Hulk mode. You know, he he went completely nuclear these last couple of games and uh, not single handedly, but, you know, he's a he's a large part of the reason why the Yellow Jackets are sort of right on the precipice here. You know, we talk about seven teams, Andy. I don't think Syracuse's case is dead in the water yet. I, I think- wanted to get to them next. <laughs> I did want to get to them next. Syracuse I- on the bubble. This is this brings us some sense of normalcy in this crazy season is that Syracuse is on the first four outline because that's where they are every single year. They should just have a timeshare in that spot. Just when you think they're out, they beat UNC and Clemson to sort of salvage the end of their season, 15 and seven, nine and seven overall here. Here are their, uh, you know, metrics here, 49th and net one and six against the quad one, five and one against the quad two. Uh, here's an interesting one, 13 and one at home, two and seven on the road. Will that matter? 
Uh, I I can't tell what the, the committee is going to do, but I mean, this is just like, if you're going to go, this is a, a bubble resume. Like it's a picture of the Syracuse orange. That's what it is. Right. Absolutely. And, and, but here's the thing, you know, that may sound in a vacuum, like a pretty gross resume. Um, but you go through and now you're looking at, this is a team that, you know, is going to have an opportunity to play itself in, you know, you look at the, the way the ACC tournament bracket is structured and we'll get into that more in a sec, but you, you win one game, you win a second game, maybe against the, you know, Virginia, all of a sudden, it's pretty hard to discount the orange too. So uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to see if they can get in. I, I, I think that, you know, it's a much, the fact that Syracuse is on the bubble every year is fascinating to me because this is a team that, you know, we, we're talking about the ACC awards. Who is there from Syracuse? Buddy Bayham doesn't get nominated. I think he probably would have garnered some 13 votes. Quincy Garrier gets a couple of votes. Um, he was on third team. Right. Gary, yeah. Right. I've, I voted for Gary as well. Um, but, you know, Merrick Dolezal, he's in there. They don't really have a center. The zone this year is not what it's supposed to be. And yet all they do is, is win these games and play themselves back into contention. It's sort of Georgia Tech S to me. I mean, Syracuse is attempting to do that with a little less firepower, a little less oomph, but they're, they're trying to squeeze their way in. I would not want to play Syracuse right now, though. I mean, I think the way that they've been playing of late, um, Joe Girard has been playing less. Kadari Richmond's been playing more. That's a good thing for Syracuse. Um, as our intrepid Syracuse reporter, Matthew Gutierrez, is, is so quick to point out to Jim Beheim. that's Just a good move. Just <laughs> imagine what the record would be like, Jim. Have you thought of that? You have you, to have a media member pointing it out to you, Jim Beheim, that, that, yeah. that you could have been better with that. I know. But, and again, you know, we're allowed to have opinions because we're above five foot two. Um, and I think, you know, Syracuse is a team that even in spite of all of that, they've just got a bunch of guys that grit and grind. They make things ugly. There's no single star. And, you know, Alan Griffin's an underrated guy. I think he's been, you know, not quite as good as Elijah Hughes, obviously, but he hasn't been a bad fill-in for them via the transfer portal. And yeah, Syracuse is going to have a chance to do this thing. And if this ACC gets eight teams into the NCAA tournament, Andy, I want to stop hearing all of the ACC slander on the interwebs. I want to stop hearing it on the radio. I want to stop hearing it on TV. The ACC may not have elite teams, but we are pesky. We will not die easily. And, you know, this is a, this is going to be an interesting tournament for sure. There's one other team I wanted to mention, NC State. And I don't think they're like close to getting the tournament. It's sort of close, but like not really in the conversation. 13 and nine, nine and eight. They've won five straight. UVA is the only good team they've beaten in that run, but they still won five straight. If I'm the Wolfpack, I'm really bummed that I did not get that opportunity to play Virginia Tech last weekend because that could have been a resume builder and something to add on. And if you're on that bubble, you always want a game like that. I think they're on the, the low end of the bubble right now, but uh, you know, considering what they lost in the middle of the season with Devin Daniels, uh, that's a pretty impressive turnaround for the Wolfpack here. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if Kevin Keats had gotten a couple of coach of the year votes, to be honest with you, Andy. And this is something that we were talking about uh, myself and the other media members at the UNC Duke game on Saturday. You know, the way that he has been able to turn around the ship with the Wolfpack, I, I without being able to report anything officially. And, uh, you know, this is this is me speculating. It looks very much like Kevin Keats went to his team after that Duke win a long time ago. Duke completely embarrassed the Wolfpack in PNC Arena. Uh, the Wolfpack had no fight, just looked horrible the entire game. Duke, you know, sort of steamrolled them. That was the beginning of the turnaround for Duke. That was Jalen Johnson's last game. Um, feels like years ago. And since then, I, I believe Kevin Keats basically went into his locker room and he said, listen, guys, do you care? Do you want to play? 
Because if you do, buy in. I'm tired of this half in, half out crap. And the results have sort of spoken for themselves. I mean, not just Devin Daniels, Thomas Allen goes down, but the production they've gotten from Manny Bates and, and DJ Funderburk and some of their freshman guards, you know, Shaq Moore, Cam Hayes. It's really been an impressive job by Kevin Keats. And I don't know what's going to happen with Devin Daniels next season. I don't know which of their veteran guys are going to come back. You know, Braxton Beverly's had his own version of the flu game. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with some of their experienced guys, but I, I think if nothing else, this end of the stretch run by NC State, it's not going to get them into the tournament, but I do think that it proves that, that Kevin Keats probably deserves a little bit more credit than for what he's doing in NC State than people would have otherwise thought. There, there were some murmurs that he might be on the hot seat if things didn't turn out this year now that he finally had a full complement of players, but it's clear when he has buy-in that, that this is a team that you know going forward, uh, I, I think they're going to have to be reckoned with in the ACC. All right, well, let's hit the ACC tournament field. This is coming up in Greensboro this week. Uh, should be an interesting tournament, uh, to say the least. UVA, the one seed, Florida State, two, Virginia Tech, three, Georgia Tech, four. Those are the double buys. This is the first time the triangle has not had a top four seed in the tournament. Uh, that doesn't tell you what a strange season this is. I don't know what will. Let's kind of look at the different limbs of the, this bracket here. The 8-9 matchup is Syracuse and NC State, two teams we just talked about. That feeds into the one matchup against Virginia. Uh, I guess I'll start between Syracuse and Virginia and, and NC State. I mean, those are two teams that are playing pretty good basketball right now. And then you know, if you're a bubble team, this is exactly what you want. You want to beat a team that's pretty good like that and have a chance against a one seed like Virginia that you could make a great impression with. It'd be a good win for Syracuse, for sure. I don't think that beating NC State in and of itself is enough to get the orange in, but certainly that's a right start. And, and then, like you said, Andy, you know, you're playing to, to have that resume booster against Virginia. But let's say that Syracuse is able to upset Virginia in the second round and, and obviously take care of business against NC State in its opening round game. I don't really see how you could keep that Syracuse team out of the field. I mean, uh, the, it, it's going to be really interesting to me as an aside from just the ACC, but looking at the broader tournament, it's going to be really interesting for me to look at how the selection committee judges momentum and how do they judge and evaluate and do they give any sort of enhancement to teams that are, have been affected by COVID? Do they give any sort of benefit to these teams that are showing up later? Maybe they had some COVID issues earlier. How do they judge those sorts of things? I know we've said all year, fairness goes out the window, but um, if a team like Syracuse is able to come in and say, hey, we've won our last four games and one of them was against you know the number one team in the, in the ACC, going to be probably the top seed from the ACC in the NCAA tournament, I, I just don't really see how the selection committee is going to be able to keep the orange out in that case. I just have this picture of that that meme where it's the guy who's sweating between pressing two buttons and it's Jim Beheim, and one is lose in the first round and be out of the NCAA tournament. The other button is stay in Greensboro. Greensboro. One one day. <laughs> uh, it's got to be just sitting on his nerves. It's just like, oh man, if I we got to make the tournament, we got to make a run here. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's the most fascinating early game to me is the Syracuse NC State 8-9 game because that feels like it has stakes to it. Everybody else is just, you know, playing to, to get through the season or to get to the, the next round. And Andy, are you are you saying that run. you're not interested to see if Duke can win five games in five days? Uh, no, we'll talk about that in a second. I, I, uh, I wonder if you can bet against that, uh, that happening, but is Syracuse NC state, that feels like it's going to be like a, a do or die game for both those teams. And, 
uh, when you have that sort of stakes going on, that's I think that's when you see really intense, good basketball. So I'm hoping that will be the case. Uh, noon on Wednesday is when that game is. Uh, look at the next prong here. It's 12 Pittsburgh against 13 Miami. That feeds into number five Clemson. Uh, and after that, that feeds into number four Georgia Tech. Uh, that first round game doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> it's not very interesting. I think I'm looking forward to a Clemson Georgia Tech matchup in that four five game. And uh, I mean, Clemson beat Georgia Tech on like a banked in three or late three. Uh, one of those games, one of the only times Georgia Tech's lost late in the season. Uh, that could be a pretty interesting four five if they get through clean to that. Absolutely. I love that game. I think that would be such a fun game to watch. Um, it would be gritty. It would be gross. But really, you know, the, the opportunity that both those teams would have, I mean, you're playing for your at that point, everything's crazy. I, th- I think we can sort of look at both those teams and say they're probably in the field right now. You know, even if you lose your first round of the ACC tournament game. Um, so really, you're just playing for tournament seating at that point. I don't think that either of those teams is good enough to continue rolling along and beat the likes of a Virginia or a Florida state, or, you know, maybe a hot North Carolina team. I'm sure we'll get on them in a second, but yeah, it's, it's an opportunity to play yourselves up a line potentially. And you've seen across the country, other leagues faltering and the bubbles getting smaller and smaller so quickly. So um, teams like Syracuse and, and, and Georgia tech, they've got a great opportunity or Clemson and Georgia tech, excuse me. They've got a great opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, I know that Clemson is, is not a team that gets a lot of hype, but Again, not a team I would want to play right now. Their defense is legit. They they just constrain people. They suffocate. And um, Georgia Tech's or Clemson, Clemson right now. I love them at the beginning of the year. Then I was wrong about them. Now I'm right again. I'm going all in on the Tigers. I, I like Brad Brownell. I actually thought he could have gotten a couple more votes for ACC Coach of the Year too. You don't think Georgia Tech has a shot to come out of this and and possibly get to the finals here, the way that they're playing right now? Um. It's tough. I, 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 the reason I say no is because to get there by looking at the bracket, it looks like they would have to go through Virginia. And if there is any combination that could mitigate Moses's right and his impact, it would be Jay Huff and pack line defense. I do think that, that Jay Huff defensively might be able to give Moses some problems that not a lot of other bigs in the country, not in the country, in the conference would be able to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a chance, but no, I, I would not like my odds. I think that, you know, Kihei Clark and Jose Alvarado, that's a tough matchup for Jose as well. Um, not saying it's impossible, but certainly I, I would probably go with Virginia pretty easily in that contest. Well, you have to assume Virginia gets there, say they get NC State, who's already beat them. Calm down, uh, calm you know, down. That could, that could be a, an interesting matchup as well. Let's go to the bottom half of the bracket here. Uh, number 10, Duke. That just sounds weird to say. Number 10, Duke played against 15, Boston College. Sorry, Boston College. I think Duke will win that one. Uh, that feeds into a matchup with number seven, Louisville, which feeds into number two, Florida State. Uh, I expect Duke to get to the Wednesday game. I don't know if it goes any further than that. Uh, as we mentioned before, Duke has to win all five of these games to get in the tournament. I mean, we're spending so much time talking about a team that's 500 right now. Uh, it's probably baffling some of the listeners. They obviously know, but uh, I, I can imagine how that could be annoying. But uh, you know, Louisville's already beaten them twice this year. Uh, I could see a third time happening. I don't buy into that adage like, oh, it's tough to beat a team three times in the season. It's like, why? They've already beaten them twice. <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> they've shown they can do it twice. If, if they had split those games, would it be easier to beat them in the third game? Uh, I, I feel like we're looking at Florida State-Louisville in that 2-7 matchup. 
Yeah, I, I, I could see it going either way. I'm not supremely confident in Louisville. This is a team, you know, and I feel really, really bad for Malik Williams because he works his way back all season, doesn't play, doesn't play, doesn't play, finally gets in, is making a difference, and goes out again with the same foot injury, and now it's, you know, going to cost him the rest of the season. So that's that's a killer blow for him, but also it's a killer blow for Louisville. I mean, this is a team that, you know, it's been – Carly Jones in the gang all year long. I don't think David Johnson has had the, the, he's been good, but I don't think he's had the sophomore season that a lot of people would have expected him to have. Um, you know, he, he has certainly improved on his freshman campaign, but not by the leaps and bounds that I think many expected of him. And, and so, yeah, I do think that actually Duke has a little bit more of an opportunity. Um, and the reason I say that is because, with Malik Williams being out, I think there's opportunity there for Mark Williams. And let me tell you, Andy, I voted for Mark Williams on the all-freshman team. I voted for him on the all-defense team as well because the way that he has played these last mm, two weeks of the season has been as impressive as any player that I've covered on both the teams that I cover. You know, his consistency, his emergence, um, his capacity to handle a larger workload, to be more of a focal point on both ends of the court. I'm not saying he's perfect. He's still too prone to, to freshman fouls, if, as Coach K calls them, on the defensive end. But he alone, I think, is going to give Louisville and Carlyke Jones a couple of problems. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if Duke makes it uh, a little bit longer into this thing than we expect. They got nothing to lose. Coach K is playing with house money at this point. And uh, – I think he knows a little bit about motivation. I, I would not want to play Duke right now, but um, I certainly do think that Louisville has a chance to just sort of make it a three P and, and rid our hands of the Duke bubble discussion once and for all. Nothing to lose, but they have lost a lot of games this year. I, th- I think I'll go with that. And the fact that this, I just, they just don't have it. They look like a team that was uninterested in playing basketball the other day. And it's going to make me wonder how interested they'll be on this. And uh, you know, if they don't make the tournament. I don't feel like Duke's going to take an NIT bid. We talked a little bit about this beforehand. Uh, I would imagine you don't think they would either. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. And Duke's been so so cautious. Uh, some would say overcautious. I, I think you know the reason they haven't had any COVID problems this year is because of their precautions. Um, but no, I see it hard to square a team going to play in an NIT, which would be optically not a great look for for you know one of the winningest programs in college basketball to go play in the NIT. Um, I know Kentucky's done it in recent years. North Carolina's done it in recent years, but the fan bases don't look fondly on those experiences. Um, yeah, to me, against you said it, Andy, against UNC, Duke just didn't look interested in playing. And I think this is a team that is emotionally drained, mentally drained, physically drained, even too, you know, trying to put so much energy forth to, to will uh, an at large bid in these last couple of weeks. And it looks like it's going to come up short. But no, I, I can't see this Duke team, whether they say, hey, we're fatigued, or whether they say, hey, Texas doesn't have a mask mandate anymore and, and we're not cool with that COVID wise. Um, it's hard for me to see Duke playing in the NIT. Although I do say, I will say this. I don't think that it would hurt. I think it would be beneficial for some of these young guys, DJ Stewart, Jeremy Roach, Mark Williams, to continue getting reps, continue getting experience with one another. But um, no, I, I can't see it happening. I think more than likely Duke's season ends this week. Greg Abbott giving the Blue Devils an out by restricting the masked, uh, <laughs> mask requirements in Texas. Uh, you know that now that we've written Duke off in this tournament, this means they're going to rip off five straight wins and we'll look like idiots next week. That's, that's what people usually, said about <laughs> That's usually how it works with this podcast. Uh, let's get to the bottom uh, little tier of this bracket here. Number 11, Notre Dame against number 14, Wake Forest. Uh, UNC, number six, 
uh, is the next round. Uh, Virginia Tech, number three. Uh, I don't feel like Notre Dame's going to struggle with Wake Forest because I feel like Wake Forest season ended a couple weeks ago the way they've been playing. <laughs> uh, but man, this probably lines up about as well as it could for UNC. I mean, if you were going to choose of one of the four top four seeds to feed into, I'd want to play the team that's played twice in the last 34 days. Absolutely. I, I think that this, I don't know if you want to call it a leg or a prong or whatever. This part of the bracket is to me the most interesting because like you said, I think Notre Dame is going to have no problems with Wake Forest. This is a Notre Dame team that just beat Florida State. Let's not forget that. Let's not discount that. I know it's not at home, but like Notre Dame beat Florida State. Like <laughs> Notre after, Dame does- after losing to NC State and blowing a huge lead against Syracuse. I mean, it's this like, yeah, they they got up for senior day against a team that plays very poorly on the road, but I don't know if they're gonna go down to Greensboro and make much noise. No, I don't either, but I, I think they're they're talented enough offensively to make things interesting. And I don't think that North Carolina wants to see Notre Dame right now. I think, you know, right now, Roy Williams is calling Steve Forbes and say, Hey, Steve, do me a solid, get up for one game, buddy. Come on. <laughs> um, I but don't no. think it'll work, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I do think that this sets up potentially well for North Carolina. You're talking about a Virginia tech team that hasn't played in forever, a North Carolina team that to me, as I, as I wrote after that Duke game on Saturday, UNC has had these big wins before. They have had a blowout of Louisville. They've had a 16-point second-half comeback against Florida State. And they follow up all of these signature performances with duds. Rotten eggs, as Roy Williams calls them. I think that the Duke game felt different. And the reason I say that is because against Louisville, UNC played about as well as it could. Didn't turn the ball over. Shot amazing. Game was never in doubt. Against Florida State, played horrible in the first half. But in the second half, played about as flawlessly as UNC could, and Florida State just completely fell apart. And as we know, not a great road team. But against Duke, UNC, again, you look at that score and you think that UNC played this perfect, incredible game, and that wasn't the case. They turned the ball over 20 times, uh, missed a whole bunch of three-pointers. They made a whole bunch, but they missed a whole bunch. They had some crazy possessions where they didn't even get the ball into the post at any point. And you looked up and it was a 20-point cushion still. So I think... Being able to play through not a perfect game and to still have that sort of overwhelming result, that feeling, that validation, I think it's something that the Tar Heels are going to try and hang their hats on. And yet, like I mentioned, if you haven't played against a team with that size lately or ever in Virginia Tech's case, it's really hard to to come up with a solution to that on the fly. So I, I think this sets up well for North Carolina to sort of make a run here. Um, of course, I say that, and now they could go out and pull another rotten egg and absolutely get blown out. But I, I think that the Tar Heels are a team that I would not want to face right now, whether it's the ACC or the NCAA tournament. The the size that they have in the post is, is certainly problematic for a lot of other teams. All right, well, give me a final four. Who's the final four uh, going to be in this bracket? I look at the top and I I still am going to go with Virginia. I I think that, you know, Syracuse is Syracuse or NC state, either one of them, that game could go either way, but they'll make things interesting. But I I think that you give Tony Bennett enough time to prepare. You give his team a little bit of rest. um, It's really hard to to go up against that. And then, you know, I I like in the, the other rung, I think that Georgia tech is a team that they're they're just playing as well as anybody right now. So is Clemson, but it's hard to discount Moses, right? I'll go Georgia Tech and Virginia. Um, I think that's going to be a great, really interesting game. And on the top line, I it is not inconceivable to me that Duke is playing in the Final Four. I'm going to say it, Andy. I, wow. I, th- 
I mean, I think you look at the way that this team, if they are in it, if they're not giving up, they, they, they don't match up poorly with, uh, you know, they're going to have, they sh- you know, I say this, knock on wood, I think Duke is probably going to just steamroll past Boston College. Louisville without Malik Williams plus Mark Williams' emergence, I think that that gives the Blue Devils a little bit of an edge inside. Um, Jordan Goldwire is capable of handling Carly Jones, I think. And then Florida State, we talk about some of their inconsistencies away from home, and maybe that comes to show again. Duke, there are going to be fans in Greensboro, Andy. Let's not discount that. Duke is going to have fans at a game for the first time all season. I, I think that this is something that we're not talking about, but this is something that has to be factored into the equation. Um, there is going to be an element of home court advantage there to some extent that Duke hasn't had all year. So I don't think it's inconceivable. Is Florida State probably going to do it? Sure. Could Louisville do it? Sure. But I, I don't want to discount Duke entirely. Um, if you're putting a gun to my head and making me pick, I'm going to go with Duke. Wow. I think that Duke is going to make it to the final four. Okay. And, and the, then and the bottom part. The bottom bracket, I, I'm going to go with North Carolina as well. I think we get UNC Duke part three. I think that Virginia Tech is not played in forever. I think that Notre Dame is good for offense, but doesn't know what defense looks like in any sense of the word. Mike Bray has no interest in coaching it. Um, I think we get UNC Duke part three in the semifinals, and wouldn't that be wouldn't that be a sight? I'll agree with you on Virginia, Georgia Tech, and UNC uh, with the same reasoning for those. Duke winning three straight games in three days. I mean, you have to remember, if they get to the Thursday game, they'll be playing the third game in three days, and Florida State... A deep athletic team will be well-rested going to that one. I feel like tired legs, Florida State could just run them out of the gym. Even if they don't play well on the road, I think that is just such an advantage uh, if it gets to that point. So I would pick Florida State uh, in that game and have the 1-4-2-6 matchups here. Uh, play it out from there. Uh, I mean, you have Duke in the final four there, but who gets to the finals and who wins? Yeah, I think I think in that in that situation, I think that UNC would, if it is Duke, I think UNC, again, the size that they have is just so hard to combat. If it is Florida State, I think that's a little bit more interesting. Um, I could see that going either way. I think uh, in that situation, I actually probably would go with Florida State over North Carolina, just because I don't think Florida State's going to play as poorly as it did the second half in Chapel Hill. I don't see that happening again. And um, Florida State's defense was pretty stifling in the first half against UNC. The Tar Heels didn't really know what to do. And then on the upside, if we're talking about Virginia and Georgia Tech, do you Georgia go with Tech, the hot- Georgia Tech almost beat them in Charlottesville? They did. This year. They, they did. Probably should have beat them and, and kind of gave that game away at the end. They did. I. I just. You know. I'm not an idiot. I can't. I can't go against Tony Bennett. I can't. And you know. I. Passner's a good. Good coach. He's. He's a. He's. A, he's probably the funniest coach in the ACC right now. Um. Unintentionally so. Uh, but I go, I, I just can't go against Tony Bennett in that situation. And yeah, you know, I don't think anybody would complain about having a Virginia, Florida state, uh, matchup, but I, I, I really think there's a chance that we see from that bottom half of the bracket, maybe it's Louisville, maybe it's Duke, maybe it's North Carolina. I've just got a feeling that we see one of those teams come out of the bottom half. And, um, certainly, you know, that is sort of the ACC tournament that this year would warrant. Yeah. I got Virginia on the top getting to the final and the bottom, it's between Florida State and UNC. 
And whoever wins that will determine who the winner is, because I think Virginia has UNC's number every time they play him. I would pick Virginia in that matchup. I would like Florida State in a matchup against Virginia, just because I think the the athleticism that they have and uh, the depth plays very well. I mean, it, it worked very well in Tallahassee. We'll see if that would carry over to Greensboro. But that's who. That's how I would uh, play out the tournament in my head. Uh, clearly, having done that, it will come nowhere near to that in in actuality. Yeah, we're gonna end up with Notre Dame in the Final Four now. <laughs> Well, at least we got this far. This is the exciting part. Uh, you know, I think earlier in the season, we're like, what is the ACC tournament going to look like? And fingers crossed, all the teams are going to show up and play. Uh, hopefully, uh, jinxing myself for news Im- breaking immediately after this. Yeah, Boston College bowing out in an hour. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think with that, we should just wrap it up. And, and hopefully, uh, everything that we just said stands for the rest of this week. Uh, this was a fun one. I'm glad we did this one. Uh, tons of stuff to talk about in the ACC. This is going to be a fun week ahead in Greensboro to watch. Uh, you know, we're going to be back next week to talk about all this, all this stuff as well. So if you haven't, go follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us on those sites. Uh, that helps us get the word out for stuff. Subscribe to The Athletic. I mean, Brandon will be covering this. Uh, you want to read all his great stuff, so go subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free there. Go to theathletic.com slash pod to see what our best deal is. Brandon will be at the ACC tournament. Yeah, follow him on Twitter to get all of his updates uh, at Brandon R. Marks. I'll be watching on TV. Maybe I'll chime in. You never know. At Andy Bitter VT, that's where I am. We'll be back again next week to break down the NCAA tournament bracket and the ACC tournament results. We'll talk to you then.